This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Now the first reading this morning is from Luke, chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Hear the word of the Lord. Today's second reading is taken from the first, uh, first book of Romans, uh, and I'm reading from chapter, for verse 1 to verse 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to this earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from our God Jesus, from our God our fa from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that all scripture is breathed by you and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Open our hearts this morning to receive your word, that we might know you better and be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, how was your 2022? Was it everything you hoped it would be? Maybe you had a great year. You achieved what you set out to do. Your family and church community experience was rich and fulfilling. You felt that you grew personally and spiritually. Well, if that's you, then thanks be to God. That's a great year. But maybe your 2022 was one to forget. 
I know that many of you have experienced disappointment, worry, and even loss in 2022, right when things were supposed to be going back to normal. But for most of us, I think it was probably a bit of a mix, just like life can be a bit of a mix. And when things seem to be going back to normal, but your mental health is slow to catch up. The relationship takes a positive turn, but then your job doesn't work out. You feel that your character and faith is growing, but you surprise yourself with your spiritual immaturity. Your health picks up, then someone you love falls. You know, Advent is a season in which we look at the world through two frames. We look toward the hope that we have in, a, in our Saviour with the lights, the carols, the gingerbread, the parties, the holidays, the sun. Or well, maybe not this morning. We look to the hope and joy that God gives. But on the other hand, we also soberly reflect on the world as it is without a saviour. That our saviour has not returned yet. There's much to be grateful for, but there is still so much that hinders us. In her novel Middlemarch, George Eliot puts it this way, We mortals, men and women, devour many a disappointment between breakfast and dinner time. And what compounds things is that disappointment isn't just out there, but it's also in here. You know, we want to be the kinds of people who live with a strong faith and to live with integrity and order and peace and have a right love of God and a love of others. Despite our best efforts, individually and as a race, we are, as the collect put it, sore, let and hindered by our sins and wickedness. We're greatly wounded and weighed down in running the race of life in the world and with God. The American Anglican theologian uh, Fleming Rutledge puts it like this, At the heart of the human life, there is the incapacity to make things turn out right. And so it's this sober reflection on the disappointment and hindrances in our lives that make the collect, that prayer that we prayed today, so powerful. Did you catch it? This plea for God to so raise up his power and come among us and with great might succor us or help or assist us. That whereas our sins and wickedness, we are sore let and hindered in running the race that is set before us. His bountiful grace and mercy may speedily help and deliver us. This is a powerful prayer. Oh, that God would answer it. Because this is what we need. His power and his presence among us. His bountiful grace to quickly deliver us. But the question is, as we pray this prayer at Advent, from where does this help come? If we're going to pray and expect God to answer it, how should we see it answered? Where should we look? Where do we see God's power, presence and ever-present help in our time of trouble as we seek to run this race that he has set before us? Well, the first place to look is to see God's power, presence and help as we look back. Looking back because his help and power has already come. It is already here. Now, one of our readings was from the book of Luke. It was 
by Zechariah, the song of Zechariah, uh, otherwise known as the Benedictus. You know, Zechariah, he was a priest in the temple of Jerusalem. He was going about his work. It was his turn to, to serve uh, in the temple when a terrifying angel of God appeared to him. The angel announced to him that he would have a son that would prepare the world for the Lord's coming. Now, Zechariah was understandably shocked, as one would be, with a bright, shining, flaming angel with a flaming sword, lightsaber, uh, appeared before him. Uh, but for reasons I'll never quite understand, he doesn't, quite, he doesn't believe the angel. So the angel struck him mute. Months passed until Zechariah's son, who came to be known as John the Baptist, is born. And it's at this moment that Zechariah's mouth is opened and he prophesies. But instead of prophesying primarily about his own son, he speaks about another baby that's expected in the family. Mary's boy, Jesus. And he declares that, and this is when this baby had not yet been born. Jesus had not yet been born. That God has raised a horn or power of salvation. The Lord has come among them with great might. He has shown his grace and mercy to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. And so even here, even then, way back then, this prayer, this Advent prayer that we pray has been answered. In the coming of Jesus, God has raised his power. He has come among us. In his great might, he has delivered us from our sins and begun, begun to throw off all that is there that hinders us. Now, one common way of thinking about Jesus is as a, is as a powerful symbol. Just this week, I was reading a couple of reflections on Jesus, one by the Australian musician Nick Cave and the other by the Canadian writer Jordan Peterson. Now, I don't know much about the faith that they personally might have, but for both of them, Jesus is a radical figure who embodies, he embodies courageous suffering. He embodies merciful forgiveness and is even a gateway to the spiritual and divine. Now, all these things are true, of course, about Jesus. But the most important thing about Jesus is not his emblematic character. Or his spiritual teaching. It's that through him, God has done something. That God has acted, taken action, and come among us in flesh and bone. So far from a symbol, he can help you because he has become like us and with us. And so those mortal foibles that you have and know so well, he knows them personally and physically. That sin and wickedness that cuts, that divides even into your heart, he knows the pull and temptation of that. But it's not just help, it's also deliverance. We saw this especially in our series on Romans earlier this year. That weight of guilt and shame that you carry, he knows it because. And not only that, but he bore it in his body on the cross. All your sin, it has been dealt with. There is none left to bear. As Francis Schaeffer put it, guilt is totally gone from the Christian 
and gone forever. And you now have peace with this God, a personal connection with this God who loves you, and you've become his beloved child. In his resurrection, he's defeated death, and you are a new person with a new life. If you trust Jesus, it is as if you have died and you have been given a new life that's been raised with him. And so these aren't mere symbols or, or vague hopes, but this is, this is a historical reality that God has exercised his power and come among us, that all, it's already happened and it reshapes your life. It reshapes our lives together and the life of the world. God has answered this prayer. And so, yes, life can be disappointing and difficult. Our sin still hinders us. But this Advent, you can pray this prayer for God's deliverance. And you can look back and see how God has already fulfilled it. He has already answered it. His help, his power and his presence has already come in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But God's help isn't just something in the past. It's also something in the present. Something that is happening among us and in you right now. On Jesus' last night with his disciples, he revealed to them that he was going away to the Father and that they couldn't come. I think we all know that feeling when someone we love is going away. And some of us know that too well. So the disciples, they were understandably troubled Their teacher and saviour had come with the power and presence of God, but now he's leaving them. You know what Jesus said to them? Don't worry, let's just take a group selfie and you can stick it on your wall. We'll call it the Last Supper and uh, just keep me in your thoughts. That's not what he said. (laughs) I thought I got you for a second. He said, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. If Jesus' death and resurrection is God's power and presence for us in the past, then the Holy Spirit is God's power and presence and help with us now in the present. I think it's easy to get confused by the Holy Spirit. But the big thing to remember about the Spirit is that he unites us to God, that he is God, the Lord and giver of life, and he unites us to God. And so you know when we say, you might know the words of the grace, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. That fellowship of the Holy Spirit, we, we pray that that would be with us. You know, when you say that, what do you think of? What does that mean? What is Holy Spirit fellowship? Well, it's not just kind of warm feelings that we have when we get together. I think that's the, uh, the pastries and coffee, the zing of the coffee. Or maybe it's the um, Prosecco after Lessons and Carols on Friday night. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit is, first of all, the fellowship and connection that we have with God because He is in us by His Spirit. The friendship, the union with God because His Spirit is in us and who is among all of us and unites us all together. Now, this sounds a little bit mystical. I think it can sound a bit strange sometimes, but I think the best way of thinking about it, the most concrete way of thinking about it, is thinking of it being like we become one of God's family. 
God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit comes in us and makes us a child of God. It means that we can call God Father. We can call Jesus Christ our brother. And so if you have the Spirit, that is what you are. You have been born of the Spirit, been born of God, and you are a child of God. And so as you run this race of life, weighed down as we are, God is with you by his Spirit. This is his great might and power with you, helping you, delivering you. And so as God's child born of the Spirit, you can be sure and certain, whatever you face, that he is your father, that he loves you, he cares for you. So even though you still struggle to hit the mark, you are pleasing to God. Even though you feel keen disappointment, he is with you, encouraging you and helping you. But it's not just encouragement, kind of cheering from the sidelines, because God's spirit is also God's power in us, God's power in us. He doesn't just make us feel better. He actually makes us better. He molds us, now that we're in this family, he molds us into the family resemblance. Now, when a new child comes to a fa- into a family, things change. Things are a bit rocky. But over time, as that child grows, a child is molded into the family resemblance. They become more like their sister and brother. They become more like their mother and father. And that's a bit like us. Now, over time, we become more and more, as we're in God's family, more and more like the Father and the Son because of the Spirit in us. And so that sin and wickedness that weighs us down as we seek to run that race and whatever else that hinders us gradually falls away and frees us, liberates us as we run that race unburdened. And in its place, like a marathon runner downing the drink with the electrolytes in it. I don't know, I don't run marathons. Or the gel. God doesn't just take off the weight, he also gives us what we need to get through. Boldness to speak his word. Thankfulness and praise to God. These are the things that the Spirit gives us. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. The ability to humbly submit to one another. The gifts of the Spirit to serve others. And so in all this, God takes off our burdens and he gives us new power. Empowers us to keep pressing on and not be hindered. And so this Advent, as you, as you wrestle with those disappointments and joys, we can grasp hold of this power that God gives us by his Spirit. By asking him for it and by living in the power of the Spirit. These are two sides of the same coin. Jesus says in Luke 11 that if we ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, then he will give him to us. And so when you ask God to change you, to give you strength that you need, that his Spirit works in you to do that, to give you the strength and patience and love, the gifts, the submission, the courage. It's the Spirit that answers that prayer in you. And so pray. Each day when you wake up, think about what lies before you. Think about what it is that you need from God to get through. And ask God for those things. 
And he will give you his spirit when you ask for it. But we don't just sit there and wait for it to happen. God works in us as we seek to obey him and live out life in the spirit. That's what it means, I think, to be filled with the spirit, to live by the spirit, to then to live it out, to do and act because we know that because God's spirit is in us, that real change is possible. The spirit is God's power, presence and help for us right now. Now, as I'm, as I'm saying this, you might be thinking, well, you know, that sounds good in theory, but uh, does it really make that, of a dif- that much of a difference? Do we really see God's power so powerfully at work, making things so much easier all of a sudden? Well, I think we've got to say well, yes and no. Advent, remember, is God's goodness, but also that the Saviour has not appeared Things are happening for us now and yet not yet. They, they have not yet reached us. And so it, all of this is in part. We continue to live in frustration and disappointment. But it won't be like that forever. God's power, presence and help will be completed in the future when Jesus returns. And then we will see the fullness of God's power and might. You know, now I think when we go about our lives uh, personally, but also as we look at the state of the world, it's easy to feel like things are this kind of battle, this scrap between chaos and order, between death and life, between hope and disappointment, between God and all and the things that are good and the, the world and the evils that are, that are arrayed against him. But when he returns, we'll have no doubt about who really runs the show. No question over who will win in the end. But this isn't just a power and strength of a tyrannical bully come to dominate the schoolyard and so push everyone into submission. Because then we will see him come among us to help us and succor us. He did it when he gave himself for us in his flesh. He does it in the comfort of a spirit. And he will do it when Jesus returns to be with us. And we will be with him. And he will fill you with overwhelming delight. And then he will be with us. Now remember when, think back to when you were a kid and your mum or your dad or, or a carer, someone you loved, maybe went away for a while or you hadn't seen them in a really long time. And you know the time is coming when you'll see them. And so the anticipation builds. And as they come, they arrive and you see them and you run to them and this child embraces that loved one. And they are filled with joy and warmth, acceptance and love, thrilled to see them. And that's what we will know. That is just a taste of the utter satisfaction that we will know when we are with him and he is with us. And you know, this isn't just, though, a relief from the outside, like a child who's afraid of. Uh, the things going on around them. But this is a deliverance also from what's in here, from the sins and wickedness 
that hinder us. Now, it's as if, as that child, we wait for him, but when we arrive, when he arrives, we run and we embrace him to find that actually we have now grown up to become like him. Imagine that for a second. You, still genuinely you, but like him. And then so actually even more genuinely you, who you are supposed to be. No longer that feeble, naive child filled with insecurities and weaknesses, but mature, transformed and utterly glorious. No longer weighed down or wounded, but liberated, strong. This destination, it's not just a remote future, something that just tickles our minds every now and then. This is a present hope that drives us on. Because if that is our destination, then it strengthens our feeble arms and weak knees, gives us direction and focus. Because if that's what we will be, we live like it now with vision and purpose. Because of God's power for us, we live as that glorious one that we will be. And so at Advent, as we see the world in those two ways, with our Saviour and yet awaiting our Saviour, we can know that help is here. And so as we pray this prayer, we pray with real hope. We have been forgiven and renewed. We are now his and we share in his life. And because of his power in us, we run the race confidently knowing where we are headed. And so by looking back into the past at Jesus Christ, experiencing him now by his spirit in the presence and looking forward to the future when we will see all this in its fullness, we can have a strong faith and resilient hope in our mighty and merciful God. Let me finish by praying again this prayer for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Let's pray. O Lord, raise up your power and come among us and with great might succor us, that whereas through our sins and wickedness we are sore let and hindered in running the race that is set before us, your bountiful grace and mercy may speedily help and deliver us. Through your Son, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honour and glory now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.